Side with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Oh, it's a bleak, bleak day here, Andrew. But we've got joy to bring. We've got six reasons for joy to bring. Yeah, we're going to talk about, uh, of course... The U.S. men and their most recent friendly against Panama and really, I guess, kind of look at the uh, both friendlies as a whole and sort of, you know, now we've seen uh, a look at this young team uh, finally. And so we can kind of start to like take stock, I guess, of, of where we are and what our initial first impressions are of seeing this team play together. Granted, without some of their most key pieces, I mean, obviously, I still believe that Christian Pulisic is the best player on this team. Uh, you know, Josh Sargent, I still believe, is going to have a major role to play up front. So there's still mm-hmm. things um, that we don't definitively know. But from what we've seen so far, I think we can draw at least some early conclusions. So we'll do uh, a little bit of that at the top. A um, couple other international friendly stuff. I know you are very intrigued by what's going on with Jack Grealish at England. Um, yeah, so I, 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 re- I really am. There's a yeah. consensus forming behind Jack. Um, but is that consensus shared by the manager? That's the question I will pose later on. There's also a stunning mailbag, Andrew. Yet again, the people, the great, great people of Caught Offside Nation have have stepped up and, and given us things to talk about. Yeah, including a question about Marcus Rashford. So for the people who wanted to hear what we made of that and were wondering, you know, why aren't they talking about that at the start? Just know that that we'll we'll get to it in the mailbag. So um just know that it's it's coming a little bit later on in the show because I know that's something we we definitely do want to uh, to at least share a couple thoughts on. Uh, JJ, before we even get into the U.S. men, I just saw a little bit of breaking news on Twitter. Oh, um, oh, Lord. from Jonathan Tannenwald of the Philadelphia Inquirer, and not surprisingly, it has now been announced that the Philadelphia Union's Jim Curtin has won the MLS Coach of the Year award. So congratulations to him. And the reason I bring it up at the top of the show is. Um, because I'm I'm particularly happy for him, uh, because this is a guy who, if you follow the union, we're only, I mean, what would you? We're only like two years removed from this man being booed by union fans, by people calling for his job, people calling him nothing more than an interim, and yeah. that uh, it's time for him to go. We even discussed whether he should stay on on this uh, very podcast. Yeah, and, and look, I say that not to like scold the fans. Uh, I, I completely understand why that's where their minds were pertaining to him. The club was in a bad situation. They weren't playing well. Um, there didn't look like there was much hope, and he was a relative unknown. Like it's you put all those factors together, and and it this is what happens. Managers get booed. Like that's just the nature of sports. So I don't bring that up to scold the fans. Like I said, I get it. I bring it up just to show you uh, that this is a really good story that there's a reason to feel good for this guy because he kept his job you, you know ownership saw this pr- this process through and they were rewarded for it and you know supporter shield and now jim Curtin has been personally rewarded for it with a manager of the year award uh you know jonathan tannewald he points out in this article that Curtin he's shown an ability to coach every kind of player they've got you know veteran players in their 30s you know and they've got teenagers like aronson um, and and Curtin seems to resonate with every single one of them. So congrats to him. It looks like he won in a landslide. Oscar Pereja was second, and Greg Vanny came in third. Um, so there you go. Some uh, a nice little happy story for the Philadelphia Union and what has become a very happy season for them. I would endorse those three. I think 
I think there's yeah. there's good call for those three to be given that uh, that mantle as the as the best coaches of of this weird weird season. Yeah, maybe Peter Vermees is saying, "Hey guys, what about me?" Vermees certainly would have some kind of, "Hey, you know, I do exist." But I feel that's been the lot of Sporting KC all season. Hey, we're here. Look at the things we're doing. <laughs> right, and right. people are like, eh. "Yeah, maybe later." Gonna, well, we'll see. Then later, maybe sooner than we think. Um, as they are in good position out West. But we'll get to that a little bit later on as uh, MLS's postseason starts up later this week. JJ, though, we start, like we said, with the U.S. men. They wrap up this uh, portion of the international calendar with a 6-2 victory over Panama last night in Austria. We'll get to some of the bigger um, topics in a moment. But uh, I guess if there's anything specific to the game last night, the, the, the main things that I would point out that stood out to me um, and I'm going to try not to go too deeply into specific player performances because that's what we're about to get to with our bigger picture stuff. But I guess the the initial sleepiness from the U.S. was a little bit jarring. Uh, equally so, though, was their positive response to it. So I guess you kind of take the bad and you try to spin it and find some good in it. Like, okay, they, they took that initial blow and then they said, uh-uh. Uh, now, it was a little bit eye-opening that it happened again in the second half when there was mm. more sleepiness. They took another blow and then they said, uh-uh, not happening, and they responded. So um, I think you saw uh, kind of what can happen with a young team. Like they'll maybe just go through these spells where they sort of are, are drifting and coasting, and then you know you see that feistiness when they take the punch. Um, and, and they fought back the way that you would hope that they would have, and uh, in the end it was a 6-2 win. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get in, you know, in our conversation as we go, we'll probably get into more of the specifics of the game. But I thought it was a much more helpful game than uh, the nil-nil against Wales B, because this is the kind of opposition you're going to come up against in CONCACAF. And also, they're going to do these things. They will score against you. There's enough talent there for them to do things like that. They'll also kick the heck out of you, as we saw in the second half. That got very testy for a friendly. Not that we are without sin. Because Weston McKinney should have walked for the challenge that he put in, which was, uh, again, this this young man is slowly but surely morphing into the American Roy Keane. In, 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 in every aspect of his game, he's got so much of the young Roy Keane, the early Nottingham Forest years. And, and that's something that's, on the whole, a good thing. Uh, but, you know, we saw... Um, some defensive errors from the US, particularly on that second goal. That was pretty shocking defending um, by a number of people, including the goalkeeper, uh, who decided that they would hail a taxi uh, rather than try and play the play to the whistle. But whatever. Um, I thought it was good outing. I thought it was a very helpful outing. It was good for the confidence to knock six in. It was also good to play against opposition who you were going to come up against in World Cup qualification. Yeah. It's funny. You talk about the physicality of the game, JJ, and like it's weird watching the U.S. and Panama play in Europe. And I'm just like, as the game is progressing, it's like you can you can take the teams out of CONCACAF, but you can't take the CONCACAF out of the team. No, you can take it it immediately. The feel of a classic CONCACAF game returns no matter where they're playing it. CONCACAF is like salted meat. It travels well. (laughs) But like Greg Berhalter talked about it. He said, you know, a lot of these players haven't had those opportunities yet to play in some of these gritty CONCACAF-esque games. And he said there were times where his guys are are 
you know, they're used to playing in Europe, these guys, where the game is just officiated differently. And there are moments throughout the game, Bearhalter said, where these they're calling, they're, they're throwing their arms up in the air saying, where's the foul? Where's the foul? And it's no, play on. Like those, this ain't Europe. Like these fouls are not getting called. So you've got to play through and you've got to be more physical. And I guess you worry, like watching, you mentioned the Weston McKinney challenge. Oof. And like, I'm watching that. We've seen moments from him at, at other points with when he's played for the U.S. where you kind of feel like, boy, I hope this guy isn't a red card waiting to happen. And he didn't erase those those fears last night with that challenge. It's what you like about him, the aggressiveness, like the toughness that he plays with. But you just, when those moments happen, you just kind of, you kind of look up to the heavens and you say a little prayer. Just don't let it, don't let this rear its head during a World Cup. But it's, it's I think it's youthful impetuousness. And he, you don't want to take the element away from his game where he gets around the field and, and harasses and, and, and chases people. And I would not be focusing on that tackle. Um, we'll, again, we'll get to the specifics, but that run he made for the Tyler Adams ball for the third goal, I mean, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. That's the kind of thing I'm focusing on. You can get a player to calm down a little bit and maybe be a bit more judicious in his uh, selection, in his tackle selection. But you you don't want to clip his wings to the point where he's not making runs like that, where he's not doing those things. So I, I'm focusing on the positives here. Absolutely. And let's get to that right now. So I've kind of broken this down. I've got three categories here as we, as we come out of these two games for the U.S. The first one being whose stock is up, the second one being whose stock is down, and the third one being what are some of the questions that we still have about this team, uh, which I'm sure there are many. Uh, let's start with the positives here, JJ. Stock up. Um, I have a few names. I don't know how how you approach this. I, I, I went with three. I, three actually, I say three. That's a, that's a complete lie. Uh, two, four, five names. Oh, but I can zip through. Three. The, I can. Zi- I can zip through them fairly quickly. No, take your time. This is why we're here. This is a U.S. reaction pod. Come on. Um, I, I begin with uh, Yunus Musa, who's just, I mean, to say burst onto the scene, he, he, he was a surprise call-up. He accepted the call-up. And now it's hard to imagine the U.S. men's national team without him in the side. And that is an actual fact. Such has been his impact. Uh, his ability, Andrew, to... To, first of all, to to get on the ball and to beat a player is huge because that element alone opens up a whole game. And as we saw when, when um, particularly in transition and when Panama were in a low block, if you have a guy can, who can beat one person, it doesn't need to be multiple, suddenly there's passing lanes, there's options open, and he does that with aplomb. So he's absolutely crucial. I, I'm, I'm actually including next in my list, um, a man who emerged well, off the bench. On, can, can we talk more about Musa for a sec? Oh, sure, absolutely. Because um, I had him as well. So while you're bringing up, we may as well we may as well talk about him. Um, yeah, we fall in love quickly, don't we? I mean, like 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 you just said, it's almost hard not to picture him now playing for the U.S. And I was reading Jeff Carlisle today, and this is this is now the challenge. Is like, okay, we've seen him. He's 17. We now, like, even in this brief glimpse, we now believe that he is of a quality where it's hard to almost picture him not a part of this U.S. midfield moving Mm -hmm. forward. Uh, And Jeff writes, the task now is to convince Musa to stick with the U.S. for the long term. Um, It's clear that they don't, uh, he said, the two recent performances don't cap tie him to the U.S., as we know. And England have made it clear they don't intend to let Musa go without a fight. That is important. 
Um, the U.S. have been able to strike first, however, and that at least get, uh, gets Musa pondering his options. All I've ever said about players in his category is that all we want to do is to create an environment for them that they want to be in, that they trust is a good environment for their development, and it seemed like that was the case for Eunice, said Bearhalter. It seems like he's, uh, he sees us as a pathway to continue and develop and play with a good young group, but in the end, it's going to be him and his family that decide. Um, I think what Bearhalter says there about creating the right environment that this guy wants to be a part of, whether it's on purpose or by accident, the fact that the team overall is so young I have to believe that helps. You know, he he walks into that locker room and he sees another 17, now 18-year-old in Reyna. You know, he's seeing, you know, like um, Conrad, 19 years old. Like the, the whole team, with the exception of Reem and Leggett and I guess John Brooks, like everybody, it's, it's all 23 and unders. So I got to believe like, Walking into that locker room, there has to be some part of him that felt comfortable quickly. Yeah, because because the the uh, the opposite is you hope he looks at England and he's like, oh, old man Henderson on my back again, <laughs> right? You know, um, look, I I totally agree with that. I I I believe England. If I was Gareth Southgate now, he's I'm looking at the March window because there is a break now, obviously, and I'm looking at calling him up immediately, and. That may happen. It may happen. Because if you look at it by March, he's going to have played X amount more games for Valencia. He's going to be one of the top youth talents in in La Liga. Now, if Jude Bellingham has been called into the England squad from Borussia Dortmund, you can believe that the next call will go to Yunus Musa. If they're serious. If they're serious. Um, And I think... Uh, the issue then is that he's in there with Sancho. He's in there with Rashford. These are names beyond, uh, you know, they're stratospheric soccer names that we all know. And that may turn his head as Declan Rice's head was turned when he played three times for Ireland. England had a good World Cup. And the next thing you know, he's all about St. George. Um, so these are the things we've got to factor in. And that's why the mood of the camp enjoying playing with the players he has right now and also getting on with them, but, you know, being a part of the, their banter and being a part of, you know, the music they listen to and being friends on Instagram and hanging out, playing PS five. It's the, huge. It, that stuff it's, is massive. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, Dest was swung by the fact that he was in the youth system and enjoyed playing with these guys and enjoyed their company. And I'm hoping that's what comes out of this camp. Right. For and, Musa. Yeah. And I guess the other questions are, are you know, what matters most to Musa? It, like, it's great that he's friends with these guys and that they seem to be getting along and all that. But like, does does essentially having a starting spot almost guaranteed to you? How much does that matter? Like, well, the, the U.S. is going to have to hammer that home in their pitch to him. Like, look, like we've already seen at 17 what you're capable of. You are clearly a part of our future and whatever success we're going to experience going forward. England can say that, but can they actually guarantee that when we talk about some of the other names that they do have in their midfield? Now, the fact that Musa is playing regularly at 17 for Valencia leads me to believe that, yeah, he's probably capable of playing for England as well. Um, but it's not quite, I mean, we're going to talk about Jack Grealish later. Look, as great as he is, a spot hasn't been guaranteed for him. No. Uh, so it's, and I mean, the part of the sell is the Grealish sell. Part of the sell that Ireland would, should have made to Jack Grealish was you'll have 50 caps in the ne- in the next three, four years. You will be... Right, mo- right. Now, that may not feel the same for, for Yunus Musa. He might say, well, look, I can play against, 
you know, European opposition. I'm based in Europe. I don't have to go traveling and go back and and play, you know, Honduras and Nicaragua or whoever that may be. You know, I'm I'm, I'm being facetious, but you get the point. Um, but I think we shouldn't dwell too much on on that right now. Right now, as we sit here, Musa is a huge stock raise uh, inflection point in 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 this camp. Um, First impression the, was a good one. Oh yeah. The the other, I, I'll, I, I'm actually going to, I'm not going to talk about Dest and McKinney. I've made it clear how important they are. I think Dest's stock has rose, has risen rather, because of his ability to play left and right. That solves so much for you. Now he is a huge, huge conduit for, for our attacking play, which kind of makes me think I prefer him to be on his more comfortable side on the right-hand side, but it's hugely helpful that he can play either side. And, um, and that's massive. McKenney, I've spoken about. Ledesma coming off the bench to be able to deliver those crosses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were absolutely delicious. I We can talk about the defending, um, particularly on the, on the second Soto goal, the header at the back post, which was just, I mean, just bad by Panama. But at the same point, it was a pinpoint, uh, pinpoint cross, and that was excellent. So in, in my view, that little cameo from Ledesma has pushed him up the depth chart quite a bit, I would think. And of course, Andrew... Starting a striker, Joachini, yeah, uh, popping up with two goals and a horrendous penalty, but uh, I think I think he did well overall. I thought he um, he took his goals extremely well, particularly the his second, the third. He was Johnny on the spot for the first one. Um, the penalty, again, the short run up, the the, the semi stutter. Just put your head down and bury it. You're on a hat trick. Make sure it happens. <laughs> right, right. You know, um, but but again, it it kind of his performance and the fact he scored twice r- and 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 the way there was more of a fluidity having that focal point in attack really calls into question what was going on with the the false nine legit so, experiment. So we're kind of blurring a couple of things because in my stock up. I have Joachini and Soto kind of combined as one. And in my stock down, I have the idea of the false nine. Right. Um, because like, I think we're now like, I'm going to read you this um, from uh, Bearhalter. He said, for me, it was a good performance by Soto and Joachini, Bearhalter said, but it's important. When we talked last week about potentially the depth chart of the striker and forward position being limited, any chance you get, you need to take it. And these guys did a good job. Um, he's right in that there is this, like you look at this squad and you look at the the depth chart of this roster and you see kind of like multiple guys at each position elsewhere on the field. But for whatever reason, that position has remained this kind of somewhat ambiguous area. Yeah. Uh, especially when we don't have the full complement of players available to us like Sargent. And I'll say it right now, like uh, Josie Altador and Giassi Zardes for all the people out there uh, who have forgotten about him. I don't think Greg Bearhalter has forgotten about him. Um, and so like there's just this kind of like, there's not clarity at that position right now. Um, and so, yes, it is important now that uh, Joe Cheney and Soto got a legitimate chance to show what they have, that they performed the way that they did and they got goals. Um, but you're right. Seeing that, it just causes me to wonder even more about the legit decision in the first game against Wales. Like if you need to know what you have at that position with young players, then you probably should have taken this opportunity to play. Cor- the young correct. Player. And and we're, on, we've only seen a cameo from Soto. Like there's another guy you could have played. He's played centrally before in the U S men's national team, uh, youth sides. You could have played him down the middle and seen how it worked out. 
Yeah. Um, now, strange. Now the thing, though, with, with, again, going back to not to harp on the legit decision, but it does make you wonder also, though, if from what Bearhalter had seen in camp leading up, if he maybe was of the belief that I don't know that any of these guys are going to be my striker moving forward, so I may as well just try something different here and see if playing with a false nine is even an option. You have him. 180 minutes to really find it out. And and again, uh, not not to harp on on the negative side, but like Chris Richards coming on in the 79th minute, like. Matt Miazga starts the second game. We saw enough from Miazga against against Wales. I thought, why not start Reem and Chris Richards? Do something like that. I, I, anyway. I, well, I, maybe I, maybe Bearhalter didn't think he saw enough from Miazga in the first ninety minutes. I mean, well, think about how much possession the U.S. had in that game and how few moments there really were for the defense okay. to do much. So, well, maybe, he sh- and we did get a look at Miazga, a, a closer look at him in the second game, and there were. There were shaky moments, so maybe it is good that Bearhalter played him for that second one too. We should do stock down now. Yeah, real quick, I for my other stock up, like you, I had McKinney and Dest, and like you, there's not a ton to say about them. We all saw the qualities that they can that they can show, and you know they showed why they're playing at the clubs that they're playing at. I thought McKinney in particular. The only thing I wanted to say is that I think the growth that we've seen in him from the last time he played for the U.S. to this time, his comfort on the ball now is just at a different level than what I remember it being when he last played for the U.S. And, and it's so. so it's so clear the way he'll take a pass, you know, on the other side of midfield and then just like drive 30 yards forward with it and the whole field opens up to him. Um, and so that that for me was, uh, I, I thought over the course of these two games, he was the best player that I saw on this team. So had to be a stock up moment for him. Um, all right, stock down. Uh, stock down for me is, okay, uh, the, the reservations at centre-back aside, the stock down for me is guys who aren't in the camp, who aren't in this side, because I think there's mostly positives coming out of the games for those who featured. That's not really their fault, but if you look at look at the third goal and look at how Tyler... Actually, forget that. Look at the midfield and how we're gushing over this midfield, and you ask yourself right now, in the minds of the f- supporters at least... Where does Michael Bradley fit into this side? Bang. Yeah. It's the first name that I put here for stock down, and it's not necessarily Bradley's fault. No. But you're right. Like, how could you have watched this trio play and think that there's another guy out there who could do a better job than than what we saw? I, again, I would ask you to look at Tyler Adams' slide rule pass to Weston McKinney's diagonal run before he stands it up at the back post for Miazga, who heads to, to Joe Keeney for the, the third goal. I, I will ask you, will Bradley make that run that McKinney makes? Probably not. Probably won't play the same position, I hear you cry. Okay, well, Tyler Adams, another midfielder, is is Bradley capable right now or ever been of such a prescient pass? Yes, yes. I don't know. I'm not I'm saying the ever been part of that. I don't want to I don't okay. want to now change right. history. Michael Bradley has been a very good player for the US men. I don't care what anyone says. He has. Okay. Um, but whether or not he will continue to be better than these guys going forward, that's more of the conversation to me. All right. Um, so so for me, it's not his fault, but there we are. There's Because this midfield has now been so heralded by uh, pundits and supporters, that's a stock down. And I think at the striker position, the and, and I wouldn't say pundits, I would say supporters, feeling the temperature online, as I love to do, as you know, Andrew, uh, Josie Altador, the question of when Josie Altador's name has been mentioned, it's not, he's coming back in. It's have we found the replacement for. So 
people are looking to move away from Jose Altador. Yeah, and but, but here's Jossie coming. Zardes, nary a mention for Jossie Zardes. So those are two stock down. And again, not really their fault. But I don't know. So the midfield, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, if you are a midfielder who was not a part of this camp, then your stock has, like you said, not your fault. It's probably gone down. I don't know that I agree with you when you say that about Altador, Zardes, and I'll throw Sargent in there as well. Um, because like we said, the fact that Bearhalter felt compelled to try out a false nine in the first game and okay, we saw what we saw in the second game from Jaukini uh, and Soto, which was certainly good, but like, is it enough for me to say, okay, well, we're good now at that position. It's, it's not, not certainly not yet. Not in the way that I felt with some of the other spots on the field. So I, no. I don't necessarily know that Altador is now waking up today thinking, uh-oh, I just lost my spot on this team. I, 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 don't, th- I don't think we're there. And I think Stu Holden um, said that, uh, you know, it's great. I th- I'm paraphrasing now. It's great that, that Giochini scored his two goals, but, you know, he's probably fifth or sixth in the depth chart for striker. Maybe. Um, which may be the case. And actually probably is the case, because if you look at it, is Berhalter going to favor a second division French striker over, you know, an MLS guy who's front and center scoring lots of goals. I don't think so. But um, yeah, uh, I do think that the the stock down is is heavily weighted against those who couldn't be there, which is kind of unfair. Um, I had a couple. One you kind of mentioned. I have stock down. Uh, Giacchini taking penalties. I'd say the stock went down on that happening again <laughs> in in the near term, at least. Um, although having said that, who is who do you view on this team as the penalty taker? Christian Pulisic. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose that would be it. Mm. I kind of wanted to see Reyna take it. Uh, I know he was kind of fighting for it. I, um, I, I would have put, put my mortgage on Reyna just slotting yeah. it home with the yeah. same aplomb he slotted home the free kick. Like Reyna just stepped up, rolled it home, turned around, didn't even really celebrate because it I was know. so obvious to him that this was going to end up in the net. You know, I watched that free kick, and look, he got a little bit of help from the goalkeeper. Maybe the wall also wasn't placed where it should have been. But, like, you watch that uh, from that spot on the field, and you sometimes wonder, like, when you see Reyna do that and how easy that looked, you just wonder, like, why do guys even try to go over the wall from that kind of from that sort of distance? Well, like you said, the opportunity kind of had presented itself. There was a massive gap. He was covering the other – the goalkeeper had gambled to go the, the other side and left too much – too much to do to get back to his to his left hand side, and the wall was poorly positioned. And Reina just read it and thought, "All right, well, I'll just roll this one home." Um, and then I have one other stock down, and I'm curious what you think about this because it's a position we haven't really mentioned a ton about aside from Dest. Uh, I put Anthony Robinson in a stock down. Okay. Um, now that's I feel a little bit. I didn't do that with with a great deal of confidence. But I just wondered if the combination of the few mistakes that he made in the first game combined with the fact that I thought Reggie Cannon played really well in the second game. Um, and it makes me wonder now, okay, will Bearhalter consider Dest on the left, Cannon on the right, and just leaving Robinson out over Robinson left? Or, or if DeAndre Yedlin is now even still in the, the plans moving forward, which I don't know. Um, but I just thought that Robinson left enough questions about 
his performance in the first game to leave a, an opening for Cannon to come in and, and take that from him. I think with the modern fullback, Andrew, there are always, there's a duality in that. And I think Robinson going forward is very different to Robinson defending. And for the balance of having Dest on the right, Robinson on the left, Bearhalter has to ask himself, well, is Robinson a good enough defender? Because don't forget, dropping Robinson may, makes you play Dest out of position. And Dest has to come in on his right foot. On the, I know it worked out yesterday. It did. Against better opposition, that's going to be compact. Do you want Dest constantly coming in on the right? He can go down the line. He's skillful enough. But do you want him coming in on his right foot? That Basically, if I'm the fullback going to, defending against Dest, I'm happy to see him come inside rather than be on the right where he'll absolutely blaze me down the line. So for that balance, I think Robinson, I wouldn't put him on the stock down. I still think Bearhalter will want to keep Dest on the right. The other question being whether or not Cannon could play on the left, which maybe they would try. Don't know. And, and, and keep Dest on the right. Do not um, and then last year, uh, some of the questions that we still have about this team, uh, look, like we said, they've only played two games. So there are only questions, uh, especially with the competition being what it was. No offense to either of these teams, um, but you know, this wasn't France. This wasn't Mexico. <laughs> you know, this was yeah. Wales B team and, and a Panama team that the U.S., even when they were down a few years ago, was, was, you know, had still beaten soundly in their last game before losing to Trinidad. Um, some of, I guess some of the questions that I still have about them defending against good teams like that will always be as long as we believe that the U.S. should be beating Mexico and competing to not only get out of group stages and World Cups, but advancing past the round of 16. As long as that's what our expectation is for this team, then they're going to have to be able to go up against better opposition and defend well, like what we saw back in, in the Confederations Cup over a decade ago against Spain. And just to, just to jump in there, Andrew, don't think for a second that we're going to see like the, even in the early part, the shaky part of that game against Panama yesterday, Tim Reen playing passes, spraying passes left and right, unmolested, nobody near him, not pressured, not going to happen guys, not going to happen against Mexico. So that is a major question mark that still remains. Um, I think we've covered some of the other question marks, Yunus Musa as well that the question mark remains over where his commitment to the team um over i guess the other question mark is striker we've looked at that um the- consistent goal scorer is one that i put down there just because you know again had this had it been Josh Sargent last night and and i feel bad saying this about Soto or Jaukini but like if it was Josh Sargent doing those things last night i'd feel like okay maybe we have our guy um, but because it's two guys who did it who are even younger and you know who we have more questions about, I guess I just will have to see them do it more often to know that it's them. Um, and then the other question I had, JJ, was possession, possession against good teams. <laughs> like we're so used to the U.S. Okay, like they'll they'll possess the ball at least 50-50 against Panama or teams of that caliber. But then we see them go up against Argentina in a in a Copa America, and like what was possession in that? Like eighty five fifteen, you know. And you mentioned Colombia last time. Now this is a totally different U.S. team, and I think that these players are are different, and they're they can do more than what we've seen from from those U.S. teams of a few years ago. They're they're um, going to look to possess the ball more with these young players, but that that means also as well that against the better sides, you're going to have more turnovers how are we going to be in the transition to defense there's there's way more questions to be asked about about this side um and they're not going to dominate possession against everyone 
um, especially the better, the higher ranked teams. And how does the team look like that when they don't? What is their shape like when they don't have the ball? Yeah. Um, so there you go. That's about all I have off of these two games. This was even, this was fun. Like that was about, I would say that's about as excited as I get for friendlies were, were these last two games. Yeah. I, and and like I, went, I went into full DVR, avoid the score all day mode. Usually I only reserve that for, you know, the big yeah. ones. And and some people have been told, you know, they've told us we, especially after the Wales game, we're getting too excited. We're this, we're that. I accept maybe. that. I maybe there's there's probably a little bit in that, especially with young players who many of whom have yet to establish themselves fully at their clubs. But look, this is a much much more uh, exciting and kind of bright outlook than we've had in a long time, and I'm willing to ride that wave for a little bit. Um, but now I'm concerned. We need to talk about other football, Andrew. Do you realize You're we have concerned. listeners? I am concerned. We have listeners in Norway and Iceland. I mean. It's time. It's it's time to give them something else. Hey there, guy. We've given them something else for about two hundred and ninety days. All right, the U.S. men haven't played in almost a year. Relax, Norwegian I'm, I'm, and Icelandic listeners. I'm thinking of our listeners in Oslo. That's all I'm saying. You always are. You're a giver in that way. I, I've always respected that about you. All right, fine. We'll take a break. Um, come back in just a second. JJ will tell you everything that you need to know about Norwegian football. All right, don't go anywhere. Lots of that still to come. <laughs> Oh, back now on caught offside. So JJ has like throughout this podcast, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot happening. His, his alarm, his buzzer has gone off because somebody has been coming to his apartment. He's opening boxes right now. I don't know. Like this is first and foremost, it's very unprofessional. You should be dedicating your focus and attention to what we're doing here. Oh, Um, it's all about you. Isn't it, Andrew? No, it's all about the listeners, JJ. They deserve you paying attention to the show that you're supposed to be hosting. But what if it's football related? What? So, um, so I, I made a purchase, Andrew. Uh, I'm not going to lie. And the purchase has arrived. Uh, Miter have released, re-released their Ultimax, which was the Premier League's inaugural football. And um, of course, I went and bought one. And it arrived just as we began recording the podcast. And so here is that it what you is. just opened? Oh, look at that. A mitre ball. Wow. It's, it's very nice. Uh, this is just nostalgia. This is probably the ball Alan Shearer scored most of his goals with. And um, oh, it's, it's something to behold, isn't it? Isn't it beautiful? Yeah, yeah it's, it is. It's very nice. What are you so going to do? Pe- with- this wonderful piece of nostalgia just arrived. And I'm, I'm just over the moon with it, Andrew. It's... Uh, I am still very much a child. So in the early days of the start of the season, you'd see the new fresh mitre football being rolled out and on that lush green grass of the Premier League. And oh, it just brings me back. Just so many feelings right now. So are you, I don't know what the ball situation was, but in terms of like early mid nineties soccer companies, I was always very much an Umbro man. Oh, I'm a huge Umbro guy. If, if there's something retro, 90s i mean umbro basically encapsulates the 90s if i can get it i'll buy it and um here's the ultimax so what now this goes up on the mantle uh you sleep with it so what? i bu- i bought the version because i had the original and unfortunately uh, not to you know the original wasn't as durable let's put it that way you could play with it but eventually chunks would start coming out of it it would it would get old 
Whereas this this new one, this replica, has a modern finish on it, which takes nothing away from the uh, nostalgia value, but it means I'll be able to go and kick it around. This is a kind of a weird thing. Uh, I don't know if this is specific to you or if this is like I'm thinking of myself, you know, and like as I love, you know how much I love every sport, basketball, yeah. football, soccer, baseball. Um, like as much as I love those sports, to see the excitement in you right now, like I just don't know if I would be like, oh, I got to look at this Spalding, this 1991 Spalding ball basketball oh jj just take it in think of the memories like it's uh, is this you or is this like a an underground soccer culture that maybe i'm just kind of like not hip to um retro soccer culture jerseys memorabilia no, I get, yeah retro jerseys of course but like soccer balls ball. huge oh huge i remember somebody once bought a tango from uh, 1978 the adidas tango and i was just jealous for weeks you're kicking around the tango. Uh, a glimpse into that mind. It's a scary place. Uh, um, let's see now, JJ. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. just pretend I'm Alan Shearer and Matthew Letizia for the next few uh, next few weeks. So you're going to hold this now for the rest of the show? Is that like... This is my new friend, Mickey Miter. Looks like Wilson from Castaway. Um, all right, let's... Uh, I know you want to talk a little bit about England. They fell to Belgium. Yeah. Which is kind of becoming a, a bogey team. It seems for them just a little bit. Yeah, it wasn't a bad performance, but you're right. They they lost again to Belgium. And with that, though, the emergence of Jack Grealish seems like it has now come full circle from, uh, speaking of castaway, you know, English castaway player that had talent that for whatever reason, it seemed like they weren't all that interested in, despite the fact that he committed his future to them. Mm. Um, and now it's it seems like it's come around to the point where you almost get this sense. I don't know if it's from the fans or what, but the sense that like they can't move forward without him. It's 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 really quite incredible, Andrew, because this is a guy who was omitted for the last couple of years from the senior squads, the English senior squads, and now suddenly, can I can I tell you something that's it still bowls me over? He's twenty five years of age. Did you know that that was his first competitive game for England against Belgium? What do you mean against like first competitive game for England against Belgium? Or? No, no, no. That against Belgium, that was his first competitive. It was his competitive debut for England. When you say that, you mean non-friendly, non-friendly. I mean, he it's incredible. Well, he's been, he's only made his debut for England in, was it the last window or this window? I can't remember, but he was completely frozen out. He wasn't, he declared and then I suppose he was in the championship and he was told he had to be in the Premier League to be considered. He's been in the Premier League for what, two seasons now? Mm-hmm. And here we are. It's it's amazing. And you're hearing things like this. Gabby Abonlahor, obviously ex-Villa man, he said, the way he runs with the ball, I've seen no English player, that, player do that since Paul Gascoigne. Mm-hmm. And, you know... There's been this reticence from Southgate about playing him, but now, just as in the past with, like, we'll say, Gascoigne, maybe not Paul Scholes, that's a bad example, but further back, Glenn Hoddle, there's this consensus forming that he must play amongst fans in the media. And this is a manager who really has not wanted to play him or even when he has selected him, he's been on the bench. So we're in this amazing moment right now where... The only voice 
outside of the England camp that thinks he shouldn't start is Danny Mills. Danny Mills said, he's not Messi or Ronaldo. We need to calm down. Now, I would suggest to Danny Mills that bar is too high if that's what you're going for. Who on that team is? Right. (laughs) Yeah. No, that that I don't I don't quite understand. I guess I understand what he's saying. People need to just like relax a little bit with this now, you know, going from zero to 100 in terms of how he's perceived. But Andrew, you've seen him in the Premier League. For I love him. He's, he's one of my favorite players. Right. Truly. I'm not just, I'm not being like flip or anything. I'm, I'm being honest. And, and Southgate's got this conservative streak. So he played, he started Mount and Grealish together, which I don't think like he would have favored Mason Mount because Mason Mount works extremely hard, but Mason Mount is not close to the player that Jack Grealish is. And so you wonder how Southgate going forward is going to deal with Grealish mania <laughs> and will it, will it force his hand? Will it make him? Hmm, I don't know. Well, what would who, okay, let me ask you it like this. Who could you, who could play a, ahead of him? Who does he have to worry about? In, in, in the specific kind of attacking midfield, almost liberal role that he has. There's nobody really because I don't see him as a rival to like a Jaden Sancho. I I don't or you know he's not obviously he's not going to rival Harry Kane in the center forward position. This is a guy who will release those players. Right. I mean, uh, to me, he is now like coming into maybe say six months ago. Right. I might have said to you that Grealish and James Madison are kind of like on equal footing. Okay. And while I still think highly of James Madison, you know, he's been bit with the injury bug a little bit. Um, and Grealish has kicked on and look what Villa are doing and they're doing it largely because of him. Um, not to say that Ross Barkley's addition hasn't been huge for Villa as well, but like Grealish is the face of that team. I think Grealish has found a different level. I I feel like he's distanced himself from a a player like Madison, who I, again, who I think highly of. Um, yeah, I think if it were me, if I were South, he's, he's got to play. I really feel that way. Yeah, and and we, I mean, this is the Jack Grealish Appreciation Podcast. We read out his stats last week. I mean... Well, I mean, you're still in mourning over his decision. It's been how many years? Like, I remember we covered that years ago, and I feel like it's still... I get get it. What he said in his post-match, you know, growing up, I've always wanted to play for England. You know, my dream was always to play for England. Well, was it? Because you spent three, four years playing underage for the Republic of Ireland right up into under 21, so... Yeah, but that doesn't mean that his dream wasn't always England. You he don't. Been, he could have been playing for Ireland, but still. I, I'm like, it's so hard. It's so hard. We'll get to Ireland later in the mailbag, and it'll, it'll, you'll understand why I'm quite so bitter. Oh, I look forward to this. I always uh, enjoy your bitterness. Um, do you have any more on internationals, or can we take a quick glimpse at what's coming up this weekend? Yeah, you wonder why they're happening, you know? Um Ukraine and Switzerland, I believe, is being called off because there's just COVID everywhere. Uh, Matt Doherty is COVID from the, the Republic of Ireland. Um, I just, I understand why the games that mattered had to be played, the qualifiers, the playoff games for Euro 2020. I don't understand some of these friendlies. They're really, they're problematic. And you, and, and you wonder the knock-on effect as these players return to their leagues now. Yeah, I mean, you've seen... Like these guys have left for international duty and like within days go on any website and you start to see like lots of prominent names appear for players that are testing positive. And we saw that in the last window too. Who was it? Sadio Mane. Right. Uh, Mohamed Salah. Yeah. Yeah. 
so yes, these are like not super spreaders, but like it's it's become predictable what's going to happen. Look, Europe has gone into much of Europe has gone into lockdown. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, the idea that large bodies of men traveling across international borders to play games like this wasn't going to have some kind of problematic knock-on was 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 just foolish. Yeah. Um, um, you mentioned Matt Doherty in particular, which is kind of serves as a segue into the Premier League, which returns this weekend, of course, and it's a big weekend near the top of the table. Um, Tottenham and Manchester City will face one another in what should be an interesting game. Um, I not- can't wait for this one. Yeah. This one- this is fascinating. Well, it's fascinating because think of whatever we thought of Tottenham last season. Um, they like they found it against City. They took four points off of Manchester City last season. They got that two-two draw at the Etihad, which you remember. Like, I mean, Tottenham were so poor. Uh, I don't know to this day. I don't know how they got out of there. It's like they had two opportunities and they scored on both of them, and then they just defended for their lives the the other ninety minutes. Um, and the, the second game, there was definitely an improvement from them. Uh, and they, it, was, it was Steven Bergwijn's debut where he scored that unbelievable goal, his, his, his first big moment for Tottenham, and it came against City. Um, but now, like, you look at Tottenham and you, you kind of think, okay, this will be an, a very interesting measuring stick match for them uh, because, like, I don't know that they need to be deferential in the way that they go about this. They probably will. Um, but <laughs> guaranteed they will, but I don't, but like, I don't know, you know, Manchester city are coming at this in kind of a weird moment where like injuries are really hurting them. They're not playing great. You know, that's reflected in their place on the table. Um, you know, even guys who were accustomed to seeing play like Raheem Sterling is not having a Raheem Sterling season, at least not up to this point. Um, and you know, and he's injured. Oh, that's true. Right. He's going to, he's missing the Iceland game. So we don't even know what his availability will be for Manchester city come the weekend. Um, you know, City, they're without Aguero. Uh, you know, it's, it's like there's problems for them all over the place. And Tottenham come in, Dar- the Doherty news now aside, Tottenham come in relatively healthy, playing, well, they're winning games. I don't know that they're playing great, but they are they should be feeling good about themselves and where they're at right now. Um, there will be people who expect Tottenham to win this game. But I, I'm just... I'm just curious how they're going to approach it because I feel like I'm kind of accustomed to them in these games against big opponents being deferential. Uh, but, but isn't this game suited for Tottenham, Andrew? Isn't this game... So. Uh, well, let's look at how Mourinho plays in general. Uh, compact will look to, in, in his own words, <laughs> his own words from the documentary, F them on the break. Um you know, so they're going to sit deep, compact. Who else did that against them, against Manchester City and came away looking good? Mm, didn't Leicester City do that? Possibly. Like it. So they're going to play in the in the transitional moments, in the breaks, and they've got this exciting, uh, this exciting attack that has been on fire with Son and Kane. Um, I think this is tailor-made for a Mourinho game, surely. I, I gotta believe they'll go again with the uh, Sun Kane Bale Trident up top. Hmm. No. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Unless Th- these are the games where you want to see that. Unless, unless there's ultra caution, total caution from Mourinho, and then Bale will be will probably the, be the one to miss out there. I think. I just like him as a starter, and if you you know if you want to be caught to me, Lucas Mora 
is is suited to be that burst of energy as a sub in the 75th minute. Like that's to me, that's a perfect role for him. Well, Gareth Bale um, was anonymous for Wales against Ireland in in mid in midweek uh, Nations League action. So, but he he did start. He made one absolutely lung bursting run, and the ball wasn't cut back to him. But you just saw evidence of of that that devastating pace that he still has. Although it's not, he's definitely, he's definitely not as quick as he was that I say that was devastating pace, but I, I feel like no, he was saving himself for the weekend somewhat that this was, I mean, a, look, the, the Micon bail days are, are behind us probably, yes. but he's still he, in moments. I think he still has that in him. Uh, and then also JJ, another huge one near the top of the table and it's Liverpool and Leicester city in the tremendous character cup. <laughs> so uh, the sky sports premier league tweeted out, the injuries for Liverpool and they they listed Alexander Arnold, Van Dijk, Gomez, Fabinho, and then question mark Salah. But I don't think there's a question mark. If he's in two week lockdown because of COVID, surely he can't play, right? Or can he get tested before the game? I don't know. Uh, Robertson, uh, Andy Robertson picking up an injury on international duty for the successful Scotland team and Jordan Henderson. Uh, in the interests of balance, for the sake of balance, as Arlo White put it, Arlo White, the Leicester supporting commentator. Come on. Well, no, I mean, just I'm stating a fact. Um, Says the Liverpool supporting podcast host. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so Arlo listed the the injuries that um, Leicester have ahead of this game, which is Ricardo, Sionchu, Castagna, Indidi, Amarty, and then question mark Schmeichel, question mark Fofana. I mean, so, in terms of importance to their to their respective teams, I'd say it's kind of, you know, like, okay, Van Dyke may be the best player, but like, Ndidi's importance to Leicester is not all that different. Like, I'd say it's almost I, I a did, draw. I, did, I, would, I would disagree with that, Andrew, because Ndidi doesn't play center back and it's so hard to fill in in those positions. Liverpool are going to be going. Okay, but Sonshu does and he's one of the best in the league too. Yeah, f- fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so this is going to be a game where the words of Gareth Southgate will be echoing because, and, and indeed Jurgen Jurgen Klopp, and indeed um, Pep Guardiola, where they all said in recent weeks, "Why can't we go back to the five substitute rule? Because there's too much football happening, which there is, and there's too many injuries." And it's right now. I was ag- I was against it. But right now, I kind of see the error, the folly of my ways, and I, I wonder if there's a possibility that the Premier League, at, even at this late stage, can reverse course on that. I don't know. Well, I, I'm sure they can. But I think uh, the the lesser teams would vote against it because they believe it doesn't serve their interests. But I wonder how true that even is. Well, look, if if injuries are as big a concern as they've appeared to be, then it serves everyone's interest. Now, I get why they'd be skeptical because the players that Manchester City can bring off the bench with a fifth sub are not the players that West Brom are bringing off the bench with their first sub. Um, so like, uh, it's heavily weighted to um, to be an advantage for the bigger clubs. But I think in a moment where injuries are kind of at like a crisis point, um, I think the, I, would, I would vote for it. I think okay. I would vote for this to go through. Um, and then uh, one other thing before we get to the mailbag, J.J., uh, MLS, the postseason begins this weekend, but before like the you know the postseason in true begins, you have Pro- the plan. it's called the postseason proper, Andrew. Okay, no, the postseason in true. The postseason the- in true. <laughs> yeah, that's what they call it. You are a wordsmith. You've never heard that. Um, the playing games, JJ Friday night, New England and Montreal. 
and then uh, that'll be followed by Nashville and Inter Miami. Yeah, interesting uh, one. Kind of curious. Uh, New England have the upper hand in in regular season play over Thierry Henry's Montreal. Uh, Wanyama is out for Montreal, um, which makes Boyan's. I mean, they need a big game out of him. Uh, the Henri factor is interesting to me. You know, they haven't been good. They've limped into these this postseason. If you, or well, it's not the postseason and true, but the the fake postseason. Um, and you wonder how they're gonna how they're gonna fare out. And it is at Gillette Stadium, which I think really really suits the Revolution from a number of factors, including the surface and the field. And the second game is almost like. You know, there's so much experience in that. Na- I know they're an expansion side, but there's so much experience in that Nash- Nashville side. You've got Godoy, McCarthy, Zimmerman, and then you have Inter Miami. Pizarro won't play, so there's big nights needed from the star players Matuidi and Iguain. So they're kind of in- they're they're interesting games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we'll talk more about how that all plays out and how the MLS postseason really gets started up uh, on next week's show. JJ, one more quick break, then we'll come back. We got a beautiful mailbag here. Excited about it. Don't go anywhere. Back now, we wind it down with a nice, nice mailbag. What do you got? Mailbeezy, at CEO Soccer Pod on Twitter, at CutOffSide ESPN on Instagram. Follow us there, please. And CutOffSidePod at gmail.com for your longer rambling delusional emails. Uh, many of you mentioned the Daily Mail, um, or sorry, the Mail on Sunday piece on Marcus Rashford, which is causing a lot of controversy. Um, I suppose the best, I don't know what's the best way to describe this article. The the headline is, what a result campaigning football star Marcus Rashford has bought five luxury homes worth more than two million. Um, Striker 23 has plowed an estimated 1.5 million into three houses in Cheshire. He has mortgages from Queen's Bank Coots for all five of the properties. And there's kind of the juxtaposition of his charity work or his campaigning to make sure that school children don't go hungry during this pandemic. Um, right. It's clear what they're doing here. They're trying to impugn him by saying, hmm, this is your Robin Hood. Yes. Yeah. Look huh. at this rich guy and his hypocrisy. Look at him proselytizing. Look at him speaking down to the government about government policy when he is spending money on houses. Yeah, I kind of went back and forth on whether or not to even provide air for this story to breathe. Um, but ultimately, like our pretending that it's not a thing is not going to erase the fact that too late, <laughs> like th- it is a thing. This is out there and people are are, are talking about this. And I guess my, my takeaways are this, JJ, human beings sure are weird at deciding who to villainize. Like the, we're talking about a guy who is dedicating his free time, more than just his free time, dedicating his time to make sure that school children can receive free meals. Okay, so let's villainize the guy with a two million pound house who's dedicating free time to feeding hungry kids. What are you dedicating your free time towards? Netflix, video games, like this is people like, yes, one of the realities of being a successful professional footballer is that you find yourself suddenly awash in wealth. But to me, like this is not actually the story here. The story here is the question of why 
Rashford. Why does he need to justify his wealth or explain how to use his finances? Uh, He doesn't have to justify it. That's not the story. The question and the story is why are these front page stories being written about Raheem Sterling and Marcus Rashford and not Harry Kane or Danny Ings or Jordan Henderson? I think we know why. Yeah, we do know why. It's very clear why. Um, Rashford responded, okay, so let's address this. I'm 23. I came from Little. I need to protect not just my future, but my family's too. To do that, I made a decision at the at the beginning of 2020 to start investing more in property. Please don't run stories like this alongside references to campaigning, which I thought was, he, he's he's been so restrained uh, throughout this whole thing where he has done immeasurable good for millions of people in the UK. And he's never made a political. He's never attacked anyone. He's called those in power to account. And more than that, he has done something for people himself. Of course. It's just, it's, it's magnificent. Yeah. I would, I would just say that like, don't let this sham of an article deflect your attention off of what the important thing is here. A lot of footballers are extraordinarily wealthy. Not a lot of them are dedicating themselves to causes as selfless as this one. That's the story. End of story. Like that, that's it. There's no reason to even concern with, with the other nonsense. Uh, moving on, Chris Weintraub. Hello, JJ and Andrew. I love the show and have been loyally listening since a friend turned me onto it in the build up to the 20, 2018 World Cup. I, I think, Andrew, we were at our peak in the 2018 World Cup. That was oh, so now we're like on that the was here. we were Thierry Henry in 2004 during the 2018 World Cup. Um, I've never reached out before, but this has been on my mind for some time. And I thought it would be a good time to message you since the fixture sh- fixture schedule is a little lighter due to the international break. I was curious if JJ in particular had either read or seen the TV series Normal People. The novel was written by Sally Rooney and the TV series was aired on Hulu here in the States. Both were excellent in my opinion, but I thought it would be of interest to JJ because the main characters grow up in Sligo and about a third of the story takes place there. The other two thirds in Dublin. I'm curious how he felt that... S- Sligo was portrayed and what he might add to provide any additional context about the place. Um, the novel was also will also hold a special place in my heart as it accompanied me on my so far only trip to Goodison Park to watch my beloved Toffees beat Burnley 2-0 last spring. Thanks so much and keep up the good work. I look forward to the pod dropping every week. Well, Chris, funny you should mention it. Were you um, an extra? No, well, my, oh. my best friend is an extra in it. Oh, wow. My best friend is in one of the Christmas pub scenes. And Chris, you are right on the money. Uh, Normal People was filmed in the town where I went to school, went to high school, where I essentially grew up, although I lived outside of the town. I lived in the countryside. It's a town called Tubacurry in South Sligo, and that's where all the filming was done. Now, it's not called Tubacurry in Normal People. It's got a different name. But um, so much filming was done in Sligo. And yeah, the, the show was wildly popular during lockdown because, um, you know, um, people wanted something to watch. Um, I would advise, advise people to watch it and to enjoy it. If you're of, over the age of 18, um, there, I, there is some, some sexual content in it, which w- would make me think that, um, Andrew shouldn't watch it. And, uh, some of our younger listeners certainly shouldn't, but, um, please watch it. It shows how beautiful where I come from is, and you can get an insight into the little town from whence I came. I'm not mature enough. No, you can't. Andrew, you can't watch that kind of stuff. Come on. <laughs> People kissing and you watching that? No, 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 no. But uh, what yeah. else do you have here, huh? 
Uh, Ryan, um, hey guys, I saw the story, so I decided that I wanted to tell you my favorite pod to date. No doubt it is the 2019 Champions League final preview, mainly because I'm a Liverpool fan myself. Listening to the semi-final highlights of Liverpool and Spurs making their glorious comeback, then Andrew saying, oh yes, in happiness, definitely brought a smile to my face while I was walking across campus at the University of Texas in Austin. In regards to Reggie Cannon, I have a friend who briefly played with him in high school, so I am also an avid fan. Can't wait to see him move to another European club, hopefully. Uh, Cheers from Ryan. I would tell Ryan that he and I share something in common here, and it's not that we have a friend who played with Reggie Cannon. Uh, I... When people ask me what is, like can I think of a favorite podcast that we've done that is the Champions League final preview podcast that we did I think is the most was like my peak fun. Oh. I think that was my favorite podcast that we've done. Wow. We were so up for it. It was I thought it was really really good. Uh we replayed the rap battle. The like he said the opening montage was good. Like I thought from beginning to end I just thought that podcast was so much fun to do. Mm-hmm. They all are, but like you can have favorites, right? Every episode of Seinfeld is great, but like the Merv Griffin show is amazing. Right. Maybe that was our messy moment in 2010. Maybe that was where we were at, we were at our peak. <laughs> uh, Jackie, Jackie Choi, she gets in touch on the Instagrams. Please follow us, caught offside ESPN. I'm back to ask about the caught off. <laughs> I'm back to ask about the caught off wives once again. Nice pun. You mentioned your girlfriend was a soccer fan. Did you get her into the sport? What about Andrew and his family? Is watching soccer a family thing? Are his kids going to play? Well, let me address caught off wives. Uh, my girlfriend was a avid football fan before I met her, so I did not get her into anything. Um, if anything, she was a hugely committed Tottenham Hotspur fan before I met her. Um, Andrew, what about you? Well, my wife played soccer in high school. Very but good. In ter- but in terms of watching uh, I can tell you that it is very much not a family thing. I usually watch alone in the darkness. Uh, my kids don't care. One of them's one. Um, and my wife cares very little. Uh, so sadly, at this point, it is not a family thing. However, Jack has been playing a lot of soccer in our yard. And yeah. I think he's actually, for a four-year-old, I think he's good. Like He, he dribbles make, all around the yard. He not so, make you. Know. Uh, yeah, but then I put a reducer on him, sat him down. That's right. You hacked him down. The video was quite awful. <laughs> yeah. You're like oh. Vinnie Jones or somebody. He has but, to learn. Yeah, but you, you're, uh, the soccer genes in terms of playing comes from comes from your wife, who right. cl- clearly could, could knock a ball around and play a ball. Um, as we discovered in 2014 in the park, I just met you. We went to Central Park with some of your friends. We had a kick around and... Um, Apart from my good self, your wife was the best player on the field. In fact, I think uh, you've always said that. I think I, I don't think you're serious. I'm de- I'm you've dead always serious. Said that. I don't think you're serious. When the ball was kicked to her, you could tell what she was so comfortable. Her first touch was really good. Whereas when the ball was kicked to you uh, and you tried to control it, it was like a man whose legs had been replaced with two hams. You say all these things. I don't I don't think you're being honest. I don't think you're being genuine. My problem is my conditioning. <laughs> I, uh, I I get winded very quickly and it affects me and my performance. <laughs> oh God, if it was only that. And uh, finally, uh, Stephen Dennehy. Uh, Stephen 
reaches out, <laughs> uh, Stephen, clearly uh, from Ireland, an Ireland supporter. We're now seven games in under Stephen Kenny with no win and with only one goal scored. Thoughts? Um, yeah, we are in one of the most, the most miserable run of forms. Uh, Ireland have never gone. This is a new record, uh, I believe, for Ireland to go six games without a goal. Uh, look, change is change is a, a really complicated, tough thing. And and Stephen Kenny is trying to change the mindset of a team that has played uh, a long ball kind of negative game for the past decade. Um, it's very, it's very, very tough. And um, and it's not going well right now. But this is where you got to stick with him if we if we want to develop. Um, we're going to be relegated to the bottom division in the Nations League for whatever that means. Um, but I would say, Stephen, we got to stick with it. You see sparks of better football, like the opening 10 minutes and some of the moves against England at Wembley. And then we've got Bulgaria tomorrow night uh, at Lansdowne Road. And we we need a goal, Andrew. Just give me a goal, anything. Just a, one goal. Um but yeah, it's tough right now. But what are we going to do? The other option didn't work either. So I stay. I say we support Stephen Kenny through this really tough period. Boy, the bar has been lowered, hasn't it? You're sitting here heading into a match against Bulgaria, just begging for a goal. A goal. Yeah. Not to win. Just yeah. score a goal against Bulgaria. Score a goal. It's like stop. you're talking about the Faroe Islands. Stop the horror. Andrew, it's... It's bad. It's it's really bad. And um, there's been very little to take out of the Welsh game. There was a little more out of the England game, but we, we kind of ran out of gas and England have just a lot more better players. But it's grim. I would imagine it is worrisome to see Ireland now getting passed by the likes of Scotland and Wales. Yeah. Like those but, are probably but, nations that you have always believed not only could you compete with, but that you should be beating. And I feel like now that that power rankings has has changed. Certainly. But there's been systemic problems in Irish Irish soccer that we're trying to fix. And um and one of them has been the national team. So we've got young talent coming through, but this is the growing pains, Andrew, and it's difficult. And um and the, I look on with envious eyes when I see what the US have. You know, when I when I read out that roster the other night and I saw where all those players were playing and the clubs they were at Man, that is you. You don't realize how lucky you are, and um, yes, I do. How dare you? <laughs> maybe you do actually. That was the mailbag, Andrew. I thought oh, it was rich. Stuff. I thought it was compelling. I enjoyed it. I really did. Fun podcast. Now we have another uh, nine hundred days until another U.S. game. We just sit and wait. Yeah. I can't, oh, one more thing that I forgot to add. Uh, so, you know, we've been batting bo- back and forth the idea for far too long now about d- doing some merchandise. And I am genuinely going to try and get on that over the really? next. M- oh, yeah, we need to do something merchandise wise. People have asked. Um, but a listener suggested that he would make T-shirts for us. And and I'm not going to, you know, I, I, I don't mean to sound disparaging. I love his idea. I love his energy. But the, the T-shirt examples he gave us. Oh, boy. See, I'm a man of simplicity when it comes to the T-shirts that I wear. Right. And I, I'd want to see some designs of of both. A lot. You can certainly have your shirts with a lot going on, but also how, how does ne- how does neon green with with dayglow pink lettering grab you? <laughs> I, and again, I I, I, again, this guy, I love his energy. I love his passion for the podcast. 
but we we need to upscale a little bit here if we're going to do this with merchandise. Right. Like top hats and monocles. No, no, oh. you buffoon. Like a nice mug with maybe your face on it. We want to be the official clothing provider of the Monopoly man. <laughs> no, we we want to do it right. And um, we need to rethink. Uh, we need to really get on the merchandising bandwagon. We got to. Okay. I'll sit with it. We'll think about it. Caught offside, big in Norway on a mug. Come on. Uh, This was fun, man. We'll be back, of course, next week. Big weekend coming up in the Premier League and MLS. Always lots to talk about. I I enjoy talking about it with you. There's no one else in the world I'd rather talk about it with, JJ. It's a beautiful message to leave you. You're smiling. You don't take it seriously. Can I suggest Gary Lineker? No. No, I'm offended and hurt by that. Hey, this was fun. To you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care, Andrew. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.